thinking of starting a podcast? Well, try Anchor. It's free, easy to use, and its creation tools allow you to record and edit directly from your phone or computer. It'll even take care of distribution for you with a single tap so you can be heard on platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Also, Anchor is the only place you can publish video podcasts directly to Spotify. Man, you can even make money using Anchor in a couple of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. It's truly everything you need in one place to make a podcast. So make sure to go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Welcome to another edition of the It's Cavalier podcast. As always, it's your boy Mac. Joining me today is my friend and co-host Corey Walsh of Fear the Sword, as well as Bleacher Reports' Greg Schwartz. Greg, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. First time. I'm excited. Thanks for coming on, man. And Corey, as always, how you doing, brother? I'm doing great. I mean, the Kyrie Irving roller coaster day <laughs> was a real fun waste of my time. But, you know, outside of that, uh, things are great. I think we all kind of knew where that was heading. I, I suppose maybe a surprise could come out of nowhere, but I think it was like public negotiations. That's really, it's really what it sounds like, and that's the case uh, with the player option. Uh, Greg, I'm not going to waste any time here, man. I want to get right into the meat and potatoes of this thing. Uh, the NBA draft, the 2022 NBA draft, was quite surprising in uh, in a lot of Cavaliers fans' minds, just based upon how. Uh, some of the selections went. But overall, uh, just based upon what you uh, took in from the draft, who do you think had the best draft? Which team do you think had the best draft? I'd probably say Oklahoma City. Um, I mean, when you have three <laughs> picks in the top 12, it's it's pretty tough to mess that up. Um, I, I love how they can just like, you know, when it, when it was announced that they got the, the Knicks pick at 11, everybody I think assumed right away that, oh, they traded up from 12. It's like, no, they just traded for the 11th pick and – took number 12 because they have, you know, 50 extra first round picks over the next 17 <laughs> years. So it's like, well, we can just throw three first round picks and just go buy this pick from New York. So uh, the fact that they did that, they got some really high upside players. Um, I think Chet Holmgren could be the best player in the draft when it's all said and done. Jalen Williams was a guy that I wanted the Cavs to get at 14. Unfortunately, he wasn't there. Um, so I, I mean, right off the bat, I think that's a team that had a lot of really strong guards and now they added some really good wings and front court pieces. So I'd say Oklahoma city to me was the the big winner of the draft. I am hard pressed to even try to disagree with that one. I th- I'm right up there with you. Um, they stole, uh, my, uh, my top pick for them and Corey's as well. And Usman Jang and Jalen Williams. So we were pretty tore up about that. And although we are okay with the Ochaiak Baji pick, but yeah, they killed it, man. They killed it. You know, when you have like unlimited darts to throw at the board, it really helps. <laughs> so kind of really makes your choices a lot easier. I also really like Detroit's draft, too. I thought they were kind of like my one and two. Maybe like San Antonio is a slight third. But uh, what team's draft, uh, Greg, surprised you the most? Uh, surprise me. Um, well, I mean, you could start right at this, at the beginning with Orlando because nobody <laughs> knew that Ben Caro was going to go there. Um, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that. I mean, you got to go back to like 2000, 
13 when the Cavs took Anthony Bennett when really nobody was like, you know, had a clue who was going to go number one or at least, you know, we, we assumed we thought we knew and then that's not who it was. So I thought that was fun just right off the bat. Um, you know, we just didn't know at the end of the day, you know, till about 10 minutes, I think it was reported before the draft that Ben Carroll was going to go number one. So that was, that was exciting. Um, as a Cavs fan, it was kind of nice not to have to sweat out like a top five pick and see who was going to be there. It was kind of nice just picking at 14, which is weird. You know, when we're good, we're picking at the end or we don't have a pick. So it was weird having the 14th pick. So it was kind of a stress-free uh, environment watching the draft for the first time in a while, which was, which was nice. Yeah, indeed it was. Is there any player that you think was taken too high? Um, that's a good question. Uh, you know, I hate to say it, but I think uh, uh, Ochai was a guy, or um, Baji was a guy that I, I thought was, I thought 14 was a little generous for him. I remember I listened to a podcast right before that uh, Jonathan Charks of the ringer was really like just tearing him apart and saying like <laughs> he wasn't the best prospect on like Kansas's roster. And um, you know, he wasn't going to develop and he wasn't a, and I was just like, Oh man, like whoever gets this guy, like that, <laughs> that's not going to be good. Um, so I, for him to go at, at 14, maybe it wasn't, you know, I think that was where most mock drafts had him going. Um, but I, I think overall, I think the draft uh, and unfolded as we expected it to outside of the number one overall pick. I think a lot of guys won in the ranges we expected them to. Um, I, I, I'd say the Kings not taking uh, Jaden Ivey at four, or at least not trading the pick for as many, you know, we heard that this was a four player draft. A lot of experts mm-hmm. would say, um, a lot of teams were trying to trade up the number four pick. I know Woods reported that. I just feel like they could have, there had to have been a potential trade out there somewhere that they could have got a really good deal. And for them to not take advantage of that situation was such a King's thing to do. Um, <laughs> I, I, I like that you said you like Detroit's draft. I thought Detroit absolutely killed it. Um, I, I love the press conference where they brought out Jaden Ivey and they had his grandfather's jersey. Uh, from the Detroit Lions, they had his mom's jersey from the Detroit Shock, and I just thought that that's an organization that's doing it right right now. So for them to get Jaden Ivey and Duran, I thought those were two just excellent picks for them. When you looked at the draft, like in the broad scope, did you notice any particular trend kind of with teams as you were watching, or did you just feel it was teams just solely picking based off need? I, I thought after, you know, we got through the top 10 or maybe even 14 or so, I, it seemed like a lot of teams were going for wings. I know um, uh, the like the Memphis Grizzlies took a couple guys that, you know, were multi-skilled guys that can play the three, the four, um, that can pass, that can shoot, that can dribble. It just seems like a lot of teams were kind of loading up on that. And that makes sense because you look at, you know, the way the NBA is going, you look at the the Boston Celtics in the finals um, just having those wings that can kind of do a lot of everything. It was like, okay, there's there's no wings in the top, you know, three picks in the draft. It's all big men. And then after that, I feel like it kind of like evened out. And then everybody's like, you know, we we do kind of need wings uh, in, on on, the, on our rosters with the the way the NBA is going. So um, yeah, after the top couple picks, I felt like it kind of evened out. And you know, that's that's the way the NBA is right now. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's the direction that we're heading in. They often say that you need a wing 
today, like a, a top wing to be able to be even in contention to win a title. And so for me, man, just with Cleveland selecting at 14, it just seems like there were so many players, so many prospects that were still on the board when Ochaik Baji was, was taken. And so my question for you, uh, do you think there are any prospects on the board at Cleveland should have taken over Akbaji because when you look at it, I mean, they passed on AJ Griffin, who seemingly had loads of potential, but a lot of red flags medically. Tari Eason, he was probably uh, he was one of my two biggest prospects on my board, and Dalen Terry was getting a lot of love uh, recently, and then Malachi Branham, who slid all the way down to the Spurs. So, uh, do you could you have seen the Cavs taking anybody else over Akbaji? I think Griffin was the pick that I was kind of expecting at that point, just because, you know, I remember looking at mock drafts a couple months ago and I saw him as high as number four. And, you know, for a guy that just shot the lights out in college, for a guy that looks like he could be a good NBA level defender. um, And, you know, I I feel like he didn't really get to showcase everything he could do at Duke just because they had so much talent and he kind of, you know, got put into a role and let, you know, Van Caro and all these other guys kind of shine too. Um, for him to slip all the way to 14, I thought, man, something's got to be wrong medically if he's fallen this <laughs> yeah. far. It kind of made you think of like Michael Porter Jr. a couple years ago that you knew the talent was there. You knew he was one of the top guys in his high school class, but you're just like, okay, if, if he can't play, if he's not, you know, if he has all this medical concern, what's the point? Um, and then he ended up going two picks later to Atlanta. Uh, Griffin did. So that was a guy at that point, I was like, boy, I'd, I'd really like to get him. <laughs> Um, yeah. I know he, maybe he can't step in and play right away like Ibaji can, um, but that you know even if you you keep him on your bench and you bring him along, that's a really nice trade asset because I'm sure there's a lot of teams that you know if you could at least showcase him a little bit and he looks healthy, I'm sure there's a lot of teams that would like to go out and get AJ Griffin out, uh, especially if he's hitting you know 40 percent of his threes in the NBA too. So I think that's probably the guy I would have done. Obviously, I don't have the the medical records in front of me like these NBA teams probably do. So there's probably a reason that 15 teams passed on him. But, yeah, he's the guy that fell that I was really surprised and, and thought maybe the Cavs should have got. We were screaming from the rooftops, I feel like, at that point in the draft at 14 when he was still on the board. Because we were, we felt pretty comfortable with uh, with Agbaji being selected. But at the same time, it's like, hmm, nobody suspected that A.J., uh, at no. least between us, we, we never suspected that he would fall that far. I kind of figured he'd be within the 8 to 10 range, uh, yeah. maybe 11. But I just felt the Cavs, you know, could have taken a swing on him because the Cavs seemed to be a team that kind of kind of could have towed the line between having a like a plug and play prospect and a, a big swing. Uh, th- there's no telling whether or not. And I'm sure they will have Akbaji out there from day one. But there was no telling whether or not this 14th pick would have even been in the rotation this season or would have been counted on this season. So I felt uh, Griffin would have been a good swing to take. Uh, considering who else was t- already taken off the board. So that's uh, that's kind of where I'm at with it. Greg, when you looked at the uh, draft beforehand, what direction did you want the Cavs to go in? Because I think Mac and I both – well, Mac was more on the more of the safe side, I feel like, for prospects. I wanted us to take that huge swing, go for a Jang or go for a Jalen Williams type. Where did you find yourself on draft night wanting the Cavs team to go? I wasn't a huge, I don't know, maybe I didn't study up on him enough, but I wasn't a huge Jane guy. Um, I know he was a lot better in the second half of the season. 
and to get a guy with size that can pass, um, you know, that can shoot, that that would have been great. But, you know, when is he going to be ready? I thought he, he fell in the perfect situation in Oklahoma City, a team that probably isn't going to win a whole lot of games next year, is still extremely young, is known for player development. When he originally got selected, I had the the notifications off because I was watching the draft live from from Shams and Woj. I didn't want to know who Woj was, was destroying the draft. Jesus, and, and uh, yeah, and um, so I at the time I thought he was going to New York, and I thought, oh no, <laughs> like this this yeah. poor kid Tibbs is not going to play him. He's not going to develop. Uh, it's it's going to be Cam Reddish all over again. And I, I felt really bad. And then when they announced that they they you know traded it to Oklahoma City, I felt a lot better than about it. Um, going into it, I, I and still this is my number one need for the Cavs is is playmakers. Playmakers. We have such a good front court. We have an all star guard. Um, you know, hopefully Collins back at one hundred percent looks really good. But we need more playmakers. We need that Ricky Rubio um, type in the second unit that can run an offense because it can't all fall on Darius. When you look at this roster and you say, okay, how many guys can create a shot for somebody else? There's not many. It's Darius. It's maybe Karis LeVert if he wants to. Um, he can get <laughs> sticky hands on the ball. Um, it's Colin a little bit. Still not a real good playmaker. Um, you know, Laurie Markkinen is, is not a creator. Uh, Mobley, Jared Allen. I mean, you go, some of our top players are not guys that are going to set other guys up. That's why I really like Jalen Williams in the draft. I thought this is a perfect guy that he can come in and, and he can defer to others or he can get his own bucket. Um, so at this point, going into free agency, I, they need playmakers. I don't care if it's in the backcourt. I don't care if it's on the wing, even if it's in the front court, like wherever. But we need guys that can set other guys up because we have so many other good pieces in place. When the Cavs selected Agbaji, did that kind of illustrate to you what direction you think the Cavs are going to head into this free agency period, even with like trades as well that we don't know really know about yet? Yeah, I, I think it just signaled that hey, we're going for it. Like we're we should have been in the playoffs last year. Um, maybe if we would have had one more piece, then then we could have we could have for sure at least been in the eight seed. Um, so I. I think, you know, they'll be as, as aggressive as they can be for a team that only has the mid-level exception to spend. Um, the difference between, you know, la- last year and free agency is when you were pitching free agents, you could pitch them on. We have this young core that, you know, might compete for the playoffs, probably won't. Um, and for guys that, you know, veterans that wanted to win a championship, they weren't going to come here. And I think now if, you know, these guys were paying attention last year and they'd say, well, you know, if not for injuries, these guys could have been a top four seed in the East. And I think if you if you especially look at some of the other rosters, um, you know, Brooklyn has so much upheaval. That's a team that the Cavs could jump in the standings. Um, and and uh, Miami's a team that's a little bit older. Chicago's a team that, you know, I think we could pass in the standings this year for sure. Um, this could be a top four team if it gets the right veterans around its young pieces. And I think that's something you can really pitch potential free agents on this year that you couldn't do the last couple of years. Um, so you have the full mid-level exception. You can go and you can chase guys. You can pitch them on winning. You can pitch them on this as a team that had two all-stars last year, had phenomenal chemistry. Um, it has a great head coach. It has stability in the front office. Finally, um, <laughs> I think this is just a, a completely different 
free agent pitch that you can make this year compared to last year. And this is a team that you can finally say is ready to win now. And I think that's what the draft selection kind of signified. And that's the the same mentality that this team should have going into free agency. Man, uh, since you're here, before we get back into some more free agent talk, I do have to get your opinion on this Cavalier second round. Um, it did not go the way that a lot of people thought it would, especially as the draft started to shake out. I mean, uh, you know, the news of the day was Cleveland trading for another, yet another second round pick. But as the draft started to enter the latter stages of the first round, I mean, me and Corey were like, we were antsy. We were just waiting on some type of move to be made. And then, you know, it got to a certain point at which, you know, guys started falling and we really felt comfortable, you know, heading into the second round because a guy could have been had there. I mean, we saw Ty Ty Washington fall quite a bit. Uh, as a player who, you know, I felt okay about um, taking a swing on with an additional first round pick considering our need for playmaking. Um, and then the biggest one of all, which you know probably what I'm about to say, being an Ohio State guy and all, <laughs> EJ Liddell. Yeah. Man, tell me what the hell teams just did not see in Liddell uh, to cause him to fall that far. And do you think the Cavs should have taken a swing on him at 39? Oh, my gosh, absolutely. Um, I mean, he's a guy that, you know, he didn't have the upset of like a Malachi Branham, but he's a guy that you could plug into the rotation immediately. I don't think he's ever going to be like a full-time starter in the NBA, but I think he's going to be a real solid role player off the bench. Um, and we've seen teams have success with that. You know, I, I look back at like, you know, the Memphis Grizzlies when they took Brandon, Brandon Clark a couple years ago, he's been a really nice, you know, not true center, not true power forward, but he's been a good backup big for them. That's given him quality minutes. That's kind of like what I foresee the role of EJ Liddell being uh, in the NBA. Um, like I said, I don't, he's not going to be a star, you're not going to get many stars in the second round. Um, but a lot of, you know, mock drafts had him going 17, 18, 19. The Chicago Bulls were a popular pick for him uh, in the in the middle, middle to back half of the first round. So the fact that he was there sitting there at 39 and we didn't get him and we go out and get a player that I, I think Chris Vitor reported that isn't even going to be with us this year, isn't going to contribute. I thought, man, like, Look, if, if you got to pick like, you know, 55, 56, and you want to draft and stash some guys, that's great. But if you got to pick in the 30s and you're a team that's <laughs> trying to win right now, oh, that hurt. That hurt oh, a lot. Man, I, was I, not, was... I was not a fan of the Cavs' second round, not at all. Um, never heard of Luke Travers before. I can be <laughs> honest, never heard of him. <laughs> nope. Uh, Isaiah Mobley's getting the, the Thanasis treatment, I'm afraid. Uh, but he's, he's a decent player. I, I don't want to sell him short. I think he's he, the floor. Yeah. He, he could be the one second round guy that could make an impact on this team next year. And you had three picks and you got one guy that could potentially make an impact on the team. So I was, I was really disappointed with their second round. Yeah, and so you talk about some more of the guys in the second round. I mean, uh, you know, I was going to ask about Moby a little later, but since you brought him up, do you think he is a player that could actually earn a spot or at least a few minutes within the rotation this year? Uh, or do you think he'll kind of be slid down to the Cleveland charge? I, I think he'll he'll probably – it would not surprise me to see him start the year on a two-way contract. would not surprise me. Um, if he got a, a full-time roster spot to start the year, I think that would be that would be a little bit of a shock. I think he'll start on a two-way deal. I think he's a guy that's going to see a lot of time in the G League. Um, he'll be around the team, obviously, um, and I think maybe towards the, the second half 
of the season, he might get a look. Um, you know, if, if we have a couple injuries, if Kevin Love, Larry Markinen, one of our bigs gets hurt and has to miss time, he's a guy that could fill in minutes at the four or the five. Um, I like his ability as a floor spacer. I think he's a def- decent enough rebounder. Um, obviously, he has the, the, the chemistry from playing um, with Evan before. So, and I, I, he's not a terrible player, but again, he's, he's a 22 year old that probably doesn't have the ceiling that a lot of these guys would have had. Um, and I, I think we'll be really fortunate if he makes an impact on this team this year. Like I said, I, I just hope this isn't in a, a, a Thanasis Anatokounmpo uh, situation with the Milwaukee Bucks where he just gets a <laughs> roster spot every year without <laughs> really saying. making an impact to keep his brother happy. So maybe it's that situation, maybe not. But, um, yeah, he's the only one of the second-round guys that could even have a chance at making an impact for the Cavs. Yeah, when me and Mac talked about Isaiah's selection, we were wondering if he was even going to he like did the Cavs need to select him at where they did, or could they have even waited till like the end of the draft for him? Because unless some team was trying to make a Thanasis type or Kostas like uh, like the Lakers trying to lure Giannis, and I, I don't see a situation in which any team was really trying to desperately grab Isaiah at that point in the draft. No, no, and I don't think so. And I think uh, if you saw the the video of him like celebrating. Um, with his family around when he got drafted by the Cavs, it was almost like they they started cheering before they even said his last name on TV. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of like, well, I think they I think they know what's coming. I think they know. Uh, I don't know if they had a promise uh, from Cleveland or maybe they just got a phone call before that and and they knew okay as soon as they heard Isaiah that it was coming true. But um, yeah, I, I I think they probably could have got him with their their later second round pick, but at that point, you know, it, it probably didn't matter where they were taking him at. Yeah, when you think about it with the Cavs, because I think when they traded for that new second round pick and the draft day, you kind of thought that maybe they were making a push to get back into the first round. Do you personally believe that they got that draft pick with the intention of trading in and they just didn't have the pieces that teams were asking for at that time, even with the three second rounders? Or do you think this was their plan the whole time was to take a bunch of swings on draft and stash guys? Yeah, I mean, it was pretty much a free second round pick. Um, you had to give up the draft rights and some cash. It, it wasn't it wasn't anything that cost them, you know, a player or anybody that was on the current roster. So it was like, why not? Um, I know Chris Fedor reported that they did try to trade back into the, the later half of the first round, but the asking price was too high, which, you know, why not? That's that's what you should do. If you have multiple second round picks, you probably should try to trade up and get a better talent, get, you know, quality over quantity. Um, so I think they, they did it just to give themselves a little bit more flexibility. Um, ultimately didn't work out when they tried to trade up, but that's okay. They gave them, they gave themselves a shot and for the price of that second round pick, it was, it was well worth it. With all these rumors that we're hearing of now, the Cavs are aggressively pursuing Ricky Rubio to return to the Cavs. Do you feel like in a way this kind of is going to affect what they're going to do with their backup wing and center position? Or do you feel like this kind of takes the direction of the off season in a different way than we were thinking? I, I see we, we do need a backup center, but I'm, I'm not as worried about that because you've got so many guys that can play center. You know what I mean? Like to me, like Evan Mobley is kind of your backup center. Kevin Love can give you some backup center minutes. Um, Jared Allen is a guy that I want to see for 30, 30 to 35 minutes a night. Um, Mm -hmm. He's still young. I want to see him playing big minutes to me. It's, it's all about the backup point guard. That's, that's the most important thing for this. Because let's, I mean, heaven forbid, if something happens to Darius and he has to miss 
10 games, 15 games, 20 games, this ship will sink. It will sink because they will have <laughs> nobody else to move the ball. You will have to put Karis LeVert at point guard and just hope for the best. That cannot happen. Now, if that would have happened last year and you had Ricky Rubio before he tore his ACL, you'd be fine. You could you could survive. You wouldn't be as good, but you could plug him in and you could still win games with him. Right now, if Garland gets hurt, there's nobody on the roster you can plug in at point guard and be like, okay, we can weather the storm. I don't think Colin is is that guy to be a full-time point guard. I don't think Karras is that guy to be a full-time point guard. Um, and, Do you think and, Brandon Goodwin showed enough to warrant another look? Um, we know he's not under contract anymore, but do you think he showed enough to at least earn some type of you know, a two-way deal or camp invite something? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, th- I think he's at least a two-way guy. Um, again, I think he's your third point guard. I would not have him as your primary backup to Darius Garland. I liked him. Um, but, again, I'd rather have a guy that maybe he's not as good of a uh, shot creator for himself and he's a better shot creator for somebody else, a guy that maybe isn't as good of a scorer, but he's better at setting other guys up. I'd be fine with that. We've got a lot of guys on this roster that can score, especially mm-hmm. if Colin comes back. Like I said, we don't have a lot of guys that can get a bucket for somebody else. So to me, it's it's all about the backup point guard. Um, somebody that, like I said, if, if Darius has to miss time, somebody can steer the ship um, and keep everything afloat because I think that's that's by far and away the most important thing they have to address before the season starts. So you're saying point jetty isn't the answer? <laughs> Why you got to do that? Why you got to throw that in there? I'm wearing the jetty shirt. You know, I just wanted to support the boys. <laughs> I, oh, I, I I love Jetty. Uh, I've talked to Jetty many times. He is the happiest, friendliest guy you will ever meet. He never says anything bad about anybody. Um, he's always extremely positive. I remember even the the year, the 2018-19 season, um, the first game LeBron came back uh, as as a member of the Lakers. I remember I talked to him in the in the locker room before the game about it, and he was just, you know, the Cavs were terrible that year, and he was still just happy as can be, and just, you know, had a good attitude. So I, I love Jetty. Is Jetty a point guard? No, but I, I like him as a person. So <laughs> that's all that matters right, at the end of yeah. the day, right? <laughs> right. Sure. Um, with that being said, let's talk about another guy. Let's switch gears here really quickly. Um, do you think this draft kind of signals the end for Dylan Windler in Cleveland? Um, I, th- I think he'll make. I think he'll make this roster and he'll be, this will be his last year on the team. And Rain think, or shine, you think? Yeah, I think he's just because, I mean, shooting is so valuable. And that's one thing that I still think he has a, a pretty high ceiling with. He can, he can still shoot the ball when he's healthy. When he, he wants to. When he, when he wants, wants to. to. When he, when he gets, if he gets a consistent rotation spot somewhere, I still think he can be a 40% three point shooter um, on a decent volume. Is that going to be a Cleveland? I don't know. Especially now that we have, he's a Spurs you know, guy. <laughs> maybe. And <laughs> if you're looking at potential trades, I think he's making like $4 million this year. So if mm-hmm. you're trying to match salaries, he could be part of that salary match for you too. So I, 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 I'd, I'd at least keep him on the roster heading into the season and, and at least seeing, uh, uh, if he can crack the rotation and if not, he could be a salary matching piece in a potential trade. Yeah. And if not, he could join the live tour because he's a decent golfer. Really good golfer. <laughs> yeah. Amazing golfer. <laughs> yeah. As our friends at the chase down always say, uh, theoretical Dylan Windler is a dangerous thing. <laughs> uh, I think that's really like for him, it's always been the concept, the abstract thought of just how good he could potentially be as a shooter. 
like we saw stretches um, for the first few seasons of his career where, you know, he could actually look confident and take some shots and make some shots. Uh, he's not a bad defender at all, and he can rebound the basketball, but far too often, especially at the latter half of the season when Jetty pretty much got ousted <laughs> for a bit of time, uh, Windler, when he got his chance, just did not seem to take any consistency, you know, shots with any consistency. And I don't know if that's more of a confidence thing or maybe being scared of being pulled, but I don't know, man. I just, I don't know if I've given up on Dylan Windler, but. I, it, it'd be hard for me to see him contribute this upcoming season. Well, and then you have the, you know, we just had the draft and you just, you know, I, I can't help but think back to when we took Keldon Johnson. It was reported that we took Keldon Johnson mm-hmm. and I thought, wow, what a great pick. I can't believe we got him. We need a wing. That's perfect. And then they, I think, I think Shams even tweeted that we got him and then he reversed courses and said, no, 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 they didn't take him. They took Dylan Windler. I'm like, who is this guy? <laughs> 23 years old. Like I didn't know, went to, yeah, went to small school. Um, his rebound numbers were great. Um, but yeah, if you look at, you know, Kelvin Johnson, a guy that was on the, um, USA, uh, Olympic team last year for a little bit. And, that's, and it's like, well, we could have had that. So that's too bad. <laughs> Close enough though, because the Top Golf videos on draft day were pretty electric. So yeah, yeah, it's the same <laughs> yeah. thing. Same. Yeah, pretty much. When you uh, think about this free agency period for the Cavs, um, do you think there's any names out there that we aren't really hearing about that could become available? Not necessarily like star level players, like when Paul George trade came out of nowhere, but like some decent role level players that we could try to acquire. Are you talking free agency or trade? Trade. Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I haven't thought about the trade market too much. Um, you know, my, the one guy that I've, um, I, I've written about this and I've, I've, I've thought he'd be the perfect fit next to Darius Garland. I don't think it's going to happen is DeJounte Murray. And now it's the rumors are coming out that he might be going to the Atlanta Hawks. I absolutely hate that because I think he's a great fit with the Atlanta Hawks. And that's a team that we're going to be battling in that, you know, probably four to eight, uh, playoff range. So the fact that, you know, you're putting one of the best defensive guards in the NBA, a guy who's six foot four, a six foot ten wingspan, um, and you're gonna put him next to Trey Young, what a perfect fit um for a guy. If you're trying to hide Trey Young's defensive deficiencies and you need a secondary playmaker, wow, uh, that would be a tremendous trade for them. That's the one guy that I think I would shake up the roster for. And I, I'm not a fan of shaking up the roster. I'm I'm a fan of we had a really good start last year everybody's going to be a little bit better coming back. Let's just ride this thing out and see, see how we look without really, you know, making any major waves. But if DeJounte Murray was available, then we could talk about, what would about, you feel you know, comfortable giving up to acquire Murray though? So the, the potential like trade idea that I kicked around, I think it was like, um, um, Colin Sexton would go back to the, to the, uh, Spurs and a sign and trade. Um, At the time, it was our 14th pick in the draft. It was a 2025 first-round pick. Um, Isaac Okoro was going to be in the deal. And then you could fill in the gaps. So it was like two really good young players, two first-round picks, and then there'd probably be some negotiations. San Antonio would probably want more, um, and the Cavs would probably not want to give them more. So I think (laughs) there'd be some negotiations there. But uh, if you could put him next to Colin or not calling Darius in the backcourt. Um, the same thing that I said, you know, with Trey Young applies to him. Um, 
next to next to Darius is a six foot ten wingspan, a guy that led the NBA in steals, um, a guy that you know almost averaged a triple double last year, was an All Star. You know, he just checks so many boxes for the Cavs defensively, um, playmaker. Um, you know, he's still young, but he's, he's been around for a while. He was young when he got drafted. So, um, I, I, I'd love to have DeJounte Murray. I don't think it's going to happen, but he'd be my number one trade target. If, if, if we were to pursue a big name, uh, what team do you think is going to be kind of sneakily aggressive in this free agency period that would directly kind of affect the Cavs in a way? So when the, the Pistons made their, uh, their Jeremy Grant trade, I, I tweeted out at the time, I'm like, look, the Pistons just opened up $20 million in cap space for a team that already had significant cap space. Um, and, you know, everybody thought they were going to chase DeAndre Ayton. It's probably less likely now that they have Jalen Duran um, and Isaiah Stewart is still there. So I don't, I don't see them playing three young centers together. Um, I did find it inter- interesting. I was listening to the uh, podcast today, had Jonathan Gavoni on it. And he was talking about... Um, DeAndre Aiden, when he originally went to college at Arizona, one of the things that they pitched him on was he didn't have to play center full time. He didn't want to play center. He wanted to be Sounds a power like forward. Davis. <laughs> yeah. Um, the problem with those two guys is neither of them can shoot threes. So they kind of have to play center. Uh, so that was interesting. I was like, well, what if Detroit, you know, that's their pitch is like, well, you don't have to play center. We already have two good center prospects. We just traded away our starting power forward. You can be our starting power forward. Now that team, this is going to have a lot of spacing issues if that was the case. Um, but let's say they don't go after Aiden. One of the top guys left on the market, if they don't, you know, get uh, Miles Bridges, would be Colin Sexton. And you don't I've think heard that, that name pick out they there. made though, kind of, because that's how we were feeling. Like that pick that they made there made me feel a hell of a lot better about Colin's chances of staying. But I think I think it depends on I think it depends on Killian Hayes's future with them because right now they have three I guess I mean I consider Kate Cunningham a guard um mm-hmm. I guess he can play pretty much anywhere but they have three guys that can handle the ball but if they don't see Killian Hayes as a long-term option there and they have Jaden Ivey who's not a point guard um and they have Cade who's probably going to take on most of the playmaking duties I could see them trying to sign Colin as like a six man I could still see them do that if they don't think that Killian's part of the long-term future um and that's a team that could drive his asking price up because if they strike out on every other guy, they don't get eight and they don't get bridges. Um, a lot of these guys end up going back to their own teams. Colin could be one of the best free agents left on the board. And if they have $20 million in cap space, if nothing else, they could say, Hey, come sign this offer sheet. Um, we'll give you a big role as a six man. You can still get plenty of shots. We're a young up and coming team. Um, if nothing else, just to have him as a trade asset too, moving forward. So I, I think that would scare me a little bit, um, with Detroit. They still, even after taking on Kemba Walker, Sally, they still have the most cabin space of any team in the NBA. So that, that's, that's one team that I'd be scared about driving Collins asking price up because if you're the Cavs, I don't think you want to go for $20 million a year for Colin. I was just getting ready to ask that before we got out of here. What would be your range for Colin? Like in terms of annual salary? In a perfect world, I think he'd make between 16 and 18. I say that's a perfect world for the Cavs and the Cavs fan. That's probably not Colin's perfect world. Um, Colin, as I think most people knew, uh, switched his representation. He is now a clutch guy, uh, as is Darius Garland. Darius Garland is probably going to get a max contract. Trying to get Uh, paid. Yeah. 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 Most clutch guys get paid by the Cavaliers. Um, 
Look at Tristan Thompson. Look at J.R. Smith. Uh, they don't always sign those contracts before training camp starts, but they do eventually sign uh, some pretty hefty contracts. So uh, Colin would be uh, uh, a guy that I would love to retain on a 16 to $18 million a year deal. Um, I think that's, you know, if, if you're him, that's still good money. Um, but I'm sure he, you know, originally was thinking probably 2025 20, before he, he tore his ACL. So, or his meniscus. So, I think uh, uh, I think he'd like to make more than twenty. I think the Cavs would like to pay him less than twenty. And in the end, I I, I just hope this doesn't turn into a qualifying offer situation. That's, yeah, where yeah. he can be unrestricted next year. I think it's important to give him you know a four year deal, get him under contract, even if you don't want to go. You know, if he doesn't fit with this new roster, if he doesn't, he's he's still a really good trade asset. So I think you just got to keep him no matter what. In your gut instinct, how do you think this is going to play out? I think he'll be back. Um, I think, you know, the fact that he was around the team so much last year, even when he was rehabbing, the fact that he was on the sidelines and he really seemed like he was enjoying himself, the fact that this is the only franchise he's ever known, um, the fact that we finally have, you know, after he went through so many head coaches his first couple of years here, we finally have a good, stable head coach. Um, I, I think I think at the end of the day, they'll work out some sort of deal. Um, last year in restricted free agency, I don't think a single restricted free agent signed an offer sheet with any team. Mm-hmm. So you know, maybe we'll see that with like a DeAndre Ayton or somebody or Miles Bridges. But I think at the end of the day, these two sides will, will, will work something out because of, um, you know, the relationship between Cleveland and, and Clutch. I think they'll get something done. I really hope so, man. Uh, this, it just did not feel the same without Colin out there. And I think 10 and a half games for him just wasn't enough to prove that he could fit with the current roster construction. I mean, by far the best roster that he'd ever been a part of. His role was obviously kind of shifting a bit. Um, and I think he was starting to find his footing. I think he definitely made a, a, a more of an effort to get guys involved. Um, the playmaking still isn't where you want it to be. But I think it was trending in the right direction. And I think there was evidence of the defense starting to take an upswing as well. So, I mean, hopefully he'll be retained. If not, um, you know, maybe we could see uh, Ochag Baji kind of step in there immediately. You you never really know what could happen with this Cavs team, I suppose. But uh, like we always tell you guys, if you'd like to reach out to us, you can at its Cavalier underscore pod on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and more. If you'd like to be added to the exclusive It's Cavalier Discord chat, you know what to do. Leave a rating, leave a review, wherever you're listening or viewing this on. Send a screenshot of that to itscavalier53 at gmail.com and we will personally invite you. Greg, man, thanks for coming on and answering our questions. Yeah, no <laughs> problem. Just threw, a, threw a lot of matches. Yeah, no, just got <laughs> no that was good. That was good. I, uh, I I wrote down my free agent targets. I was ready to go. So, uh, um, yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. Oh, man, thanks again for coming on. Have a good night. All right, thanks. You too.